IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello, friends, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Kirsten, it's season two, episode 51, and here we go. Uh, The momentum continues. I'm Mark Stenson. I'm president of Bioscience Bridge, a heart-centered brand consultancy. And I'm Kirsten Gouldy, and I am the CEO and founder of Pure IntelliKey. And I'm just so happy to have as our guest today, Mitch Wax. Mitch, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be a great discussion. By way of background, Mitch is a, you know, just an expert in entrepreneur and small business startups and growth. And in his own business, he's centered in the senior care, senior living, home health care industries. He's really grown his own business in that regard and is working on a book now to capture some of those experiences. Mitch, it must have been a great experience to look back and say, what were some of the leadership principles that guided you in building those businesses? You know, it it was really a fascinating uh, self-exploration month. Um, As I was telling you before we jumped on, I took a drive, you know, we're in the middle of COVID and didn't want to fly. So I took a drive to Vail, Colorado. I rented a B&B for a month and I sat down and I wrote a book. It's a little bit longer than all the experts say it should be, but I had a lot to say. And it really was a great experience to go back and remember all of the things that uh, kind of affected me remember the mistakes that I made along the way, which is, you know, probably four fifths of the book. So you're right. It was a really good experience to go back. It was not only cathartic and not only made me feel good to accomplish it, but I am excited because I know it's going to feel good to share it. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, I guess as we think about this idea of IntelliKey and as we kick off our discussion, Mitch, you know, maybe I focus first on the clients and customers that you served. And that is the the senior aged people. What is their sense of what potential and purpose and goals that aging uh, in place, for example, or going to a senior living situation, what are they sensing as something purposeful that they hold on to? Well, that's a that's a broad question, uh, Mark, and but it's a great question. So, in all the years I've been doing this, what I have found is that there is no one size fits all for the aging community. It, it isn't like they all have one singular goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like you and me. I mean, they are you and me. I mean, because mm-hmm. um, we're all going to be there at one point. What we our approach to working with seniors who we're trying to help age in place is to find what their passions are or what their passions used to be, and then try to bring some of them back into their daily existence. And I think that really is important to making sure that those golden years really are golden. You know, you have to ask the questions, what's important to you? What do you love? You know, what type of music was your favorite music? What, you know, and are we utilizing that in in some kind of music therapy? You know, what is your favorite, what are your favorite foods? And are our healthcare providers making those foods? And what activities do you love? Do you need us to get you out so you can still go and play bridge with your friends, but you can't drive anymore? So it's really a matter of learning what's what their passions are. 
I have found often that the one common denominator among all of the aging people in terms of a purpose, if I had to define one purpose, would be they really want to age in place with dignity and they want to be treated with dignity and they don't want that lost and they don't want that taken away from them. And I just, you know, you're, you're touching upon something to me, you know, as we were chatting about, I have studied the shamanic principles and the shamanic ways or call it the indigenous ways for most of my life. And lost in our culture as the honoring and the essence of our elders, where they were cherished, nourished. There wasn't a concern about even having to put them in a place unless they actually needed care, unless they wanted to be. But it's it's a a much different culture. So do how do you see creating environments that allow for that? Because that also requires family involvement, right? It requires community involvement to support right. that? I mean, how, sure. how does that work in yeah. your in your homes? Sure, well, that's a great question. And I think this goes right back to something probably, Mark, that you're all too familiar with and understanding who the client is. So in order to honor, let's, we'll call her Jane. Uh, in order to honor Jane, when we walk into Jane's home, we have to talk to Jane. We don't talk around Jane. Uh, Jane will ultimately be our client. Now, her daughter may be there, her daughter-in-law, her grandson, they all may be in the room when we're first meeting them. But all of my questions are directed to and facing and looking into Jane's eyes and trying to make a connection with Jane because she is the client. And that's how you honor them. And so you ask them what you want. I don't ask the daughter, what does your mom like to eat? I ask Jane. What, is, what do you like, Jane? Tell me about your past. Uh, I, that, and that leads me to the next part of honoring, which is letting them tell their story. The stories that we get uh, are amazing when you stop and sit and actually listen to a person who is 80 years old and older. This summer, I went to one of our clients' birthday parties. She turned 101. And I will tell you, when I just sat next to her, Um, after the cake and balloons were over and just said, I want to hear about your stories. Tell me some stories. And and then I, so I would direct her to tell me what it's like growing up. When were you born? Where were you born? You know, what was it like at that time? You know, when she was born, there were still a combination of brand new cars and horse and buggies that kind of traveled the road, right? So you honor people by letting them tell their stories, Kirsten. So uh, that's simply beautiful. I I understand that that's mm-hmm. part of the indigenous culture is the storyteller, right? Uh-huh. That is medicine. Well, and Kirsten, I think about many times on this podcast, we are also uh, aware of young leaders mm-hmm. who are coming up, and we're talking about how can they reach their full potential. And it just occurred to me that this idea of uh, bridging, connecting, honoring. And I think, Mitch, about what you're saying with the family and the grandsons and the daughters, but it's like, how can we make sure we don't lose the stories? How can we bring them forward to the new generation? Well, one thing that we work on is we will have our caregivers spend a little time asking these kind of questions that lead to these stories, and then we'll share them with the family members. And then often, what is probably one of the nicest gifts we can give a family member, say, hey, here are some more questions. Why don't you take a turn next week or next time you're here and ask 
uh, questions that'll lead to the next story. You may want to write these down. So I feel like it's a gift to give a younger generation kind of an assignment. Hey, sit down with your grandma and just ask her, tell me about what it was like when you were in high school. Wow. Well, you know, there's some cool things that are going on there, right? And they're going to hear some cool things because they never bothered to ask a, a very detailed, specific question. You know, often it's, you know, hi, grandma, how are you? How you feeling? I'm calling to thank you for the sweater you gave me. Uh, but, you know, they're just, they end up often being small talk when they could be very specific and very beautiful. I want to convey this thought on how this applies to leadership. I am really big on all of our salespeople learning the art of storytelling. And I, uh, I will tell your young listeners right now that you can go to YouTube and look up storytelling formulas that are used by Pixar and Disney. And there's great education on how to be a better storyteller. Part of all of the, re the requirements for all of our salespeople are they need to be prepared with two, three, four, five different stories that they tell in order to help sell when they're in front of their targets. So I think storytelling really is an art that can help salespeople. Now let's move on to like, how might I use storytelling as the CEO or president of a company? Well, one of the most inspiring ways to keep your employees connected to you and connected really to your vision is to tell them the story, a story that you feel or that you see for the future of the company. It's also great to be able to tell a story of the past. So when new employees come on uh, in our company, I was always assigned um, in part of their onboarding to tell the historic story of how our company was founded, grew, and how it got to today. So storytelling plays a large part, I think, in business. It's not just something you do at the bookstore when you have, you know, kindergarten type kids. Uh, it's, a, it's a great technique to use either um, with our clients, with our salespeople, and even uh, I use it on a regular basis uh, to connect to all of my staff. And I would imagine that you could also use, I mean, I think about how you built the business. You know, now we're going to the entrepreneurship. You're trying mm -hmm. to create a business that has this honoring and dignity at the center of it. Now you right. could use that to say, hey, I want to hire people who are naturally uh, respectful. But I think you're, you're also talking about building in uh, policies, procedures, practices. This is the way we operate. How did you sort of structure and build these attributes into the business? I will tell you that it has evolved over the years, but it really started with the name. Uh, the name of my company is Cooperative Home Care. And Cooperative came, and our initial logo, and your listeners can't see it, but we, we made, this is a, these two rings coming together, and this movement is the American Sign Language for Cooperation. And that was our first logo because we really believed that a successful business had to work for the people who work for us. It had to work for our clients. It had to work for the admin behind the scenes. From the very beginning, that kind of essence was instilled in what we now call the cooperative way. And the cooperative way is the title of our, of our company handbook. And it also is incorporated in our policy and procedure book. 
now I say book, it's not really a book, it's all online now, of course, sure. but, but it is now called The Cooperative Way. And so what does that mean? I mean, I, I love the, I, I have a sense of what you mean, but can you describe mm-hmm. for our audience, what does the cooperative way mean? Mm-hmm. So it has, it has several meanings, Kirsten, and, but in a nutshell, what, what we're trying to say is this is how we operate. Everything that we do operates in a certain way that's designed to fulfill our mission to live by our values that we have, that we're constantly adjusting and changing. Just this last year, we went through a a new configuration of our values to update them. So we're constantly tweaking. So it, it kind of incorporates all the things that we care about in terms of how we carry ourselves as a company, as, as employees in the world. It incorporates how we approach our clients, our patients, how we treat our, our caregivers, which is so very important. And the kind of charity work that we do, uh, that's another part of the cooperative way. We're always involved in some kind of charitable work. I can tell you a story to give you an example. When our company hit its like 25th anniversary, we were looking for how do we celebrate? And initially the thought was, oh, well, let's throw a big party and we'll invite all our you know, physician friends and all the people in our community and our clients and their families. And then we realized, okay, that's a lot of money we're going to end up spending. What have we really done besides pat ourselves in the back and make ourselves mm-hmm. feel good with a few speeches? That kind of changed to, well, maybe we could do, instead of spending money on ourselves to pat ourselves, why don't we spend money on getting together our team to do um, some kind of program we give back to the community? Is there some kind of charitable work, social work that we can do? And uh, we started coming up with a list of projects that we could do to give back to our community. Well, all of a sudden, you know, that idea went from let's do one great big one to, well, man, what if we could do like three of them in the year? And then the conversation kept growing in scope to the point where we went then to, what if we do one a month? Wow, wouldn't that be great? (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. This is a lot of work to put together one of these events. And before you knew it, it went, wait a second, let's do one for every year we've been in business. We ended up doing 34 events in, in the course of 12 months where we got together in different configurations and gave back whether it was serving meals for a day at the Ronald McDonald house locally, whether it was working a soup kitchen or participating in the, in our toys for tots program, or you, it doesn't matter. We went out and we asked our employees, Hey, what charities do you support that we can join and help you support? So we got inspiration from all of our employees, you know, and the kind of things they were supporting And we just said, okay, let's do a charitable event for the charity of your choice. You can help spearhead it and organize us and we'll follow. So there's an example of the cooperative way. What is the the soul of our company? Does that make sense? 
Oh, it does. 100%. And, I, and I think you're describing, you know, you think about people say, well, can you really measure these soft skills? You know, and I think e even two decades ago, Daniel Goleman showed us a way to measure and, and determine what those attributes of emotional intelligence are. And you're also describing, hey, we're not just talking about having respectful people. We're talking about developing respectful practices. We have this way is different than a feeling. And I really like the distinction. And we had a, a guest a few weeks ago who talked about there are ways to measure these things, you know, whether or sure. not you have demonstrated dignity, for example, you know, yeah. well, then here's the ways that you could use that to evaluate now, that. Yeah. And also both of you, I'm sure, uh, just think back when you walk into a company, their headquarters, their office, don't you immediately get a feel of what they're like? And within, you know, 10 minutes, don't you get a sense of what kind of energy this business has? So I think it's measurable often just by the feel of walking around a company that you're, you know, you're going into for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without definitely. a doubt. Yeah. Without but, a doubt. So I guess, Mitch, uh, turning to you personally, as you said, this is your purpose. You feel this calling. What is it that you feel as far as your own IntelliKey? What is driving you to this purpose and to fulfill your potential? Okay, so my first go around at college, I got an English degree because I was you know, going to be a writer. That never really happened actually until a couple of months ago. And then I also got a degree in education. I really wanted to teach, but I graduated top of my class. I went out, I got my first job teaching and it sucked so bad. <laughs> I mean, I had the worst. Is that a metaphysical term? Uh, yeah, that is. It's, a, it's a business term. It's, yeah, it's commonly, and I thought to myself, these kids, I don't like them and they don't like me. And the reality is, guys, I was so new. I was so inexperienced as a teacher. But uh, the teaching system is so messed up that um, if you have seniority, you get the best classes. So a brand new teacher gets the worst classes in the school. So I got stuck with a group of kids who had all flunked English. I had to share a room with the animal lab, uh, which stunk to high heaven. These kids just, they could smell my fear and my rookiness. Uh, not the word. They ate me up, chewed me up, spit me out, and laughed the, on their way out the door every day. I will. I'm going to tell you. I didn't finish my contract. I left one semester in, and I just said I can't do this. Sorry. And I went into business. But in the back of my mind, I always kept thinking, you know, one day I'm going to teach. I'm going to just. I'll make enough money, and I'm going to volunteer, and I'm going to teach. So the idea of wanting to teach has always been a part of me. It's just now at this stage of my life, I've accumulated, you know, the funds that I, that I need. I've achieved the kind of business success I want. And I found that when I joined a couple of entrepreneurial groups, that they had opportunities to be a mentor or be mentored. Early on, I took advantage of the idea of I want to have a mentor of my own. So I have had mentors. I still have mentors. I use them still to this day. But at the same time, I love being the mentor and giving back to the, the younger, more inexperienced entrepreneurs. So I do that at every chance I get. I'm doing that with my book. If you have young entrepreneur uh, listeners, I'm happy to 
help them. There's no charge for anything that I help them with. I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to send them a free copy of my book. There are zero strings attached because there is no, what do they call them? In-app. Yeah, in-app. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't have any in-app purchases because I don't have an app. Uh, I literally will, you know, help your audience at, at no cost. I just love teaching. Yeah, well, that's and so that's good. brilliant too, because Mark, Mark brings this up often. I, one of my pure passions is our young leaders moving and growing. They're unique. We've never seen the likes of this generation before in a very positive way. They're purpose-driven. They want to be of value. They want to save our earth. And so I personally will keep that in mind because I really do work closely with the young professional group. Yeah. And I think hearing this real experience is good stuff. And I think about Mitch, who, who are some of the leaders? You knew this question was coming. Uh, who are some of the leaders that you look to now that you say, you know, set that kind of example for having the bigger picture, having the full potential of both our souls and maybe even the consciousness of the, the earth as well? Yeah. And I think there are several people that come to mind. I'm going to start with one of my mentors who, his name is Ron Rubin. So uh, props to Ron Rubin. Ron Rubin owns the Republic of Tea. The Republic oh, I know tea. it very well. I drink their tea. <laughs> drink their tea. I think I'm well, having some right now. <laughs> okay, wow. Um, so he has there a great product. Um, if you just look at the can of the tea or the bottles of tea, or if you go to his I web- know, I, I have to interrupt. I'm laughing so hard. I know what you're going to say because my daughter makes me read all the darn labels on everything well, before I make a purchase. So keep yeah. going. But I am uh, Yeah, so I mean, you can, be, you can be cynical. And I know, Mark, you can be cynical. <laughs> because you can I'm not branding <laughs> I, and marketing. I'm not. It well it's not no, I mean it's in, not. in Ron's case for his product he really cares about the end user he cares about the quality of the product but more importantly if you go and visit his headquarters it is such a relaxing place in other words and this is I think so important lesson to learn uh, for young business people even not so young business people when you walk into his offices, the feel, the soul of his company mirrors the idea of his product, meaning he sells high quality teas, but everything about his teas are meant for you to relax, slow down, enjoy a sip by sip. When you walk in, his, his offices are relaxed. They move slowly. They're thoughtful in their purpose. Everything about their culture matches that idea of the values of their product. And I really think that's important, no matter what kind of company you have. I'm not saying all your listeners' companies should be relaxed. I'm saying it should match the kind of value system and product that you're, or service that you're selling. Well, I love that. And Mark and I have been talking to a lot of guests about that because this particular tea brand, it goes deeper for, for the younger generation. Are the products harming the environment? So the tea bags that they use actually do not harm the environment. They're biodegradable. No, biodegradable. So these are all things where I'm putting yeah. my money to align to my values. Right. So what you're speaking to, to me, is the essence of conscious leadership. Yeah, yeah I would recommend Ron's book, which is called Zen Entrepreneurship. So basically wow. it's entrepreneurship, but just stick the Z in front, Zentrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, that's his philosophy about life, about his company and about his product. 
So he's one of them. And I think, Mitch, you would enjoy our last guest in episode 50, Erica Ufendel. She has put together, not personally, but she directs a global center for conscious leadership. Uh And what we learned for Erica is that she's been able to bring together these principles and the Ron Rubens into a more than a think tank, an action tank. People that say, what is conscious leadership? You know, not only by definition, but by practice. I think you would enjoy some of her work. She's also working in what she would call anti anti aging, you know, that women who want to be their age and have the lifestyle and have the experience and leverage the leadership learnings that they have, rather than saying, you know, I'm trying to fight aging, which seems to also then fit your aging in place. And your, you know, as we age, we also have lots of things to bring. So. I will tell you and your, and your listeners that if they look up a, a very recent documentary on Jane Fonda, you will find that she is a fabulous example of a woman who is embracing her age, loving every minute of it, not trying to deny it, but she is, um, she is moving gracefully into it with a purpose and a passion. And she is a beautiful example of just what you described, Mark. Now, before I forget, uh, Kirsten, I, I want to talk about something that you you were, had already started to mention, which is the incredible energy and potential of this next generation of business leaders. This year, coming out of our strategic planning session, one of the things that we decided we needed was a, we have a board but we needed a a separate board that was only made up of people under the age of 30. So we are in the midst of developing what we call our next gen board, Mm -hmm. N-E-X-G-E-N, next gen board. And this is a group of people in a variety of disciplines where, you know, I'm going to give them a, some kind of stipend uh, every quarter and they're going to meet and they're going to talk about our industry, about our company, about ways that we can do things better, ways that we can grow better. How do we market and brand ourselves for a younger generation even? All of these kind of topics, but not from my generation's point of view. You know what? I oh, mean, thank you. <laughs> I just say thank you. Well, you're welcome. I am so excited about it. And I have assured everyone that nobody over the age of 30 will be allowed at these board meetings and nobody will give them direction other than the idea that, you know, we want you to find ways to make us all better, to make the company better, stronger, to grow to survive, to be on point, but whatever it is, we're giving them a pretty open invitation to make a difference with us because, you know, my ideas are born. My leadership style is born out of my generation. And what I have to draw upon often is from the generation before me. So the generation before me that I probably drew most of is the, you know, the greatest generation that World War II you know, coming out of World War II generation, those were my uh, parents and mentors. And, and the mentors I had early on in life, in business, my business mentors were, were of that generation also. So I draw my knowledge from what I know of my experiences and those before me. But what I don't have is those that came after me. And that's what we need to keep going. You know, we're at, I guess, 35 years now in business 
Um, how do we get to 50? Well, you got to have these people being one groomed to lead, mm -hmm. ought to lead, but you also have to shut up and listen to them because mm -hmm. they have Definitely great down. ideas. And I think too often uh, they're not listened to in companies. You know, they're told, hey, we're great to have you. Here's your cubicle. Here you go. Here's what's going on. Uh, you can come to the meetings, but, you know, don't talk too much. And rather than letting them uh, have a forum to themselves where they can actually speak and share their ideas. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, it's going to die. Our, yeah. our business will die. Any business will die unless you bring in some young blood and some young ideas. You know, I what you're sparking for you, this I'm just so passionate about our young people. To your point, you give these young leaders the opportunity they will. So I can't wait to see what your young leaders unleash. Yeah, I, I can't either. I'd be happy to come back and share that with you. Uh, definitely tell us how it's working. But also think about that list of your members. They have an open invitation to come on our program and you won't be able to listen to this episode if they do, but they can tell us how it's going. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that'll be uh, awkward for them, I'm sure, if they think uh, that. Well, Mitch, what a fantastic conversation. Uh, we could go on and we will. Let's come back and do it again and, and yeah, continue. I'm sorry we really didn't get much into business. I think we did. I did try to kind of steer it back toward a little oh, bit. You know of what? You know, you think you're going to talk about business on this show? No, we're talking about right. human potential. We'd rather hear about your soul than your uh, balance sheet. Well, then I think then it was a very successful. <laughs> yes, I think so too. We really appreciate you sharing your experiences. And listeners, you know, go back and listen to this again, but recap what we've heard. We've talked about translating values and attributes of people and emotional intelligence into practices, policies, programs. You know, in Mitch's company, they call it the cooperative way. You know, think about the way you're doing business. But we've also talked about putting yourself into the business and putting your own personal passions into whatever enterprise that you want. And then I think finally, Mitch, I've taken away to be able to share those experiences, maybe for your clients and your aging customers from a story point of view, and then from you and your own experiences and entrepreneurs in a teaching sort of way. And I, I love the fact that you admitted maybe two thirds of your book is about mistakes and lessons learned. Believe you me, I have those books and uh, <laughs> about the same proportion. <laughs> Here's all the things not to do. Right. But if you do them long enough and you learn from your mistakes, you can be a very successful entrepreneur, right? That's right. You can't turn yeah. it around. Absolutely. Our guest has been Mitch Wax. Now, Mitch, I would be remiss if we didn't share with the listeners where to connect with you and where to read more about you and your work. Wow. Well, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't have anything that I'm pitching, but they can go to MitchWax.com and there they will find ways to connect with me they can um, ask questions, ask for help, ask for a copy of my book. It's not ready yet. So yeah, but when say, it is. please be patient, uh, but I will give you a free copy of the book when it's done to all your listeners. Great. And it's uh, W-A-K-S. S like it's, Sam. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Mitch, for coming along the ride with us. Thanks, Kirsten, for another stimulating conversation. Yet again. I love there, it. There you go. Well, I'd like to say thank you if I could to both of you. I got to tell you, this didn't go the direction I thought it was going to, but I got to say, I loved the direction it went. This was, this was really, this brought out, I think, the beauty of business, the, the art of, when I said earlier, I think maybe off the air, that 
I love the art and science of business. This really was more about the art of business. And I love these conversations. That's our hope. So listeners, if you also feel like Mitch and you feel like these are the kind of conversations you want to be a part of, uh, continue to listen to us. We're well into season two now and we're feeling good about the direction of our podcast. Our list continues to grow of terrific leaders that we're going to hear from really at all stages of their career, their corporate life, and many more lessons to learn. And I just hope that you'll come back on our next episode. I'm Mark Stenson. I'm here with Kirsten Goldie. We'll be back next time for another episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. And until then, all the best as you reach for your soul's potential, your IntelliKey, in business and in life. See you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright pureintelliKey.com. IntelliKey Leadership Stories.